मॉर्निंग we're going to we're going to jump straight into the passage but before that we're going to pray because um I've been really reflecting this morning about um the passage that we're going to go through and it's um it's a difficult one it's a lot to think about there's a lot to think through and uh really just feeling in need of God's help and God's strength this morning so uh i invite you to to pray with me um as we pray together so let's 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 just pray father we we acknowledge that we are in so much need of your help as we grapple with the things of your word and we pray lord simply that we would be willing to respond to you when you call us we'd be willing to obey you when you tell us to let go of something or to hold on to something that we would be committed lord to you and that our passage this morning that by your spirit you'd be leading us to be walking more deeply and more in step with you i pray this in jesus name amen as i said like like paul last week really we're going to jump straight in this morning because there is for the sake of time there's a lot, there is a lot to get through so we have been uh, dipping our way into into the book of Numbers. It's the fourth book in the Old Testament section of the Bible, and we've been following God's chosen people, Israel, after he freed them from slavery in Egypt, and he's led them to the mountain of Sinai, and there God and Israel entered a sort of marriage-type relationship, really, an agreement, a covenant together. Uh, and the book of Numbers follows the journey that Israel makes from Sinai to the edge of the promised land, the land that God had promised to give to his people. And the book begins with the nation being numbered and arranged hence the name numbers before the people begin their journey to the promised land and we've covered that journey um and it hasn't started well. If you can remember from previous weeks it hasn't started well. The people have been doing a lot of complaining. You know those type of people right when nothing ever seems to be good enough kept on complaining. And by the way, if you can't think of anyone in your life who is like that, possibly could be you. <laughs> They've complained about the food that God was providing for them. They've complained about the leaders that God had selected, and they've even desired to go back to Egypt, back to the land where they were slaves. And last week Paul took us through a, a really key moment in Israel's history where spies were sent to scout out the land ahead of the land God was promising to give them and they return after 40 days with a big cluster of grapes and with information about the land's abundance and its goodness but the majority of the spies save two of them all doubt that God can give the people the land and they declare that Israel has no chance of overcoming the peoples who are in that land and the whole nation becomes infected with fear and with doubt and they They even plan a mutiny against Moses, and they seek to appoint a new leader to lead them back to Egypt. And so God comes down to judge the people for their disobedience and their unbelief. But Moses, he steps forward and intercedes. He stands between them and he prays, and God shows mercy. But then God does deliver that that declaration of judgment that this generation of people will die in the wilderness. They will never see. or enter the land that he had promised them their children will inherit it 
instead. And so that was last week, and so we enter number 16. Now, you would think at this point that the people would now have woken up in regards to trusting God, to trusting His ways, seeking to obey Him and to please Him. You know, you know the one who saved them from oppression and slavery, you know? The one who delivered them so miraculously and provided for them and blessed them and blessed them and blessed them. But no, the people, as we shall see today and as we see through the entirety of the Old Testament events, really, they continue to doubt God, they continue to reject His ways, they continue to rebel, ultimately going after evil instead of the good. So let's read Numbers chapter 16 together. It's a long passage, and I'll read it aloud to you. Numbers chapter 16. Korah, son of Izahar, the son of Kolath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abaram, sons of Eliab. That's a lot of names in there, isn't it? And On, son of Peleth, became insolent. And they rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near to himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get this priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? And then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like saves? No, we will not come. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his sense and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron to present your censers also. So each of them took his censer, put burning coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly, so I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God, the God who gives breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? And the Lord said to Moses, say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abraham, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you'll be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abraham. Dathan and Abraham had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrance to their tents. 
Then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has sent, not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. The Lord said to Moses, tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to remove the censers from the charred remains and scatter the coals some distance away, for the censers are holy, the censers of the men who had sinned at the cost of their lives. Hammer the censers into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and become holy. Let them be a sign to the Israelites. So Eleazar, the priest, collected the bronze censers brought by those who had been burned to death, and he hammered them out to the overlay of the altar, as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one except a descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord, or he would become like Korah and his followers. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You've killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly, so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting for the plague had stopped. There's a lot in there. And I'm not going to promise I'm going to unpack everything in there, but it's a rather sobering message. And there's a lot for us to think through. Sadly, the book of Numbers is filled with occasions like this when God, who has saved them, these people, he's miraculously delivered them from their oppressors, provided for them blessing after blessing, after he set up a plan or a right way to do things, which will lead to more blessing and more goodness, the people complain, the people grumble, they're impatient, and more often than not, they rebel. They're not interested. Now, we can smile at this, but I would say we too can act like these people in the way we live. And I say that as someone who this week has reflected very much on the way he lives. We too have been miraculously saved through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and we've, we've given our lives to him. We've had our sins forgiven. The sin that separated us from our almighty God, our creator in Jesus, that has been forgiven and cleared. And God too has provided all of our needs, given us blessing after blessing after blessing. We are very much no different to the people of Israel. And yet we too can be like the people. We can complain about the things we don't have. I remembered... A couple of weeks ago, we went through Numbers 11, and uh, the people complained, and they even complained about wanting to go back to Egypt because 
there they had cucumbers, which I thought was, I wouldn't, why? I'd be more interested in the garlic, but the cucumbers, interesting. Anyway, we can complain about the things we don't have. We can grumble at God because we haven't got what this person has, whether it be material things or possessions or opportunities or gifts. We can sometimes be like the people and think, this is hard. Slavery to sin is easier. Or we think, I know what I need in my life. I know better than the all-seeing, all-knowing God who loves me more deeply than I can possibly imagine. Yeah, I know better than I know better than them. And we become dissatisfied and we seek after what everyone else in this world wants, money and status and power and academic achievement and relationships and success and recognition. And God is there asking us, his children, am I not enough for you? Am I not enough for you? The people by their behavior seem to suggest that knowing God and being his people wasn't enough for them. And so they consistently rebelled. They frequently opposed Moses and Aaron who God had selected for their specific roles. And sometimes the rebellions were just a couple of people, sometimes they were a group, sometimes it was the whole nation. These are people who had agreed to be in relationship with God, to be his people, to take his lead and to follow him. And yet they consistently think and behave as if they know better than this God who has saved us. They rebel against what God has established and what God has commanded. They ignore God's words and they oppose the leaders that God himself has selected. Let's not think we're any better than them, because I'm certainly not. As I reflected on my own personal life this week, I'm very much not. In your life with Jesus, how often are we readily obeying trusting in his goodness, trusting in his ways and plans for our lives, ignoring and not taking seriously his teachings on sin and holiness, thinking that this is ultimately my life and I'll make what I want of it. How often in the way we live do we show that we're actually actively in opposition to God in the way that we behave, in the way we make decisions or our attitude towards work or our fellow workers or our bosses, or even in the way that we chat about each other in church, the way we speak about the church leadership. These people continually were in opposition to the God who had saved them, and in our passage today, they opposed his leaders that he had chosen. As we've just read, if you oppose the leaders God has selected, you ultimately oppose him. The events of our passage today are very interesting. As the the rebellion is not the whole nation at first, it's a specific group of important individuals. In effect, it's a leadership coup that we've read about this morning. A group of community leaders from Israel, led by Korah, they oppose Moses and Aaron. Moses... Aaron is Moses' brother who who leads the priesthood. He's the high priest. He was in charge of representing God to the people and people to God by offering sacrifices and serving in the tabernacle, which is where God's presence dwelt. But then if we go into verse 3, we read this charge against Moses from Korah. It should be coming up on the screen in a second there. You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? What they're saying specifically is that because Yahweh, the Lord God, was dwelling with his people in the tabernacle, and because God's presence was in the camp, at the center of the camp, in the center of the people, Korah and this group, they conclude that everyone in Israel, therefore, is classed as holy. This meant, in this rebellious group's mind, that as the nation were technically holy, 
all could enter the tabernacle, all could be priests, and there was no need for a separate priesthood. Everyone is holy. We don't need a separate priesthood. Now, for us today, this is interesting because this is true for us in the church today. Through Christ, all believers are priests, says 1 Peter chapter 2. But in this moment of history, the specific priesthood was a requirement because the Lord Jesus, who was the ultimate priest, had not come to perform the ultimate sacrifice, which is what the priest did. But what this group in Numbers chapter 16 was specifically doing was trying to access the privileges of the priesthood that God had set up, led by Aaron, who could enter God's presence through their specific role. And the group also attacked Moses and Aaron, declaring that they have set themselves up as the leaders, even though it was God who had appointed them. Now what is interesting is that the group had taken hold of something that was technically true, specifically that God's people were holy in one sense, but they had been set apart by God to represent him and follow him, which is one of the meanings of holiness. So that is true. But what this group were doing was overemphasizing one truth to the exclusion of others. Specifically, they believe really that a priesthood was not required, but that God's presence was free to all because the people were deemed holy. But however, at this stage of Israel's history, a priesthood was required because it was set up by God so that people could be represented before God and that the sin of the people could be dealt with through sacrifice and incense. Now, we need to note this type of behavior of taking hold of one truth and lifting it above and beyond the exclusion of all others because that is classic behavior of any heresy. Any heresy, any false teaching, or any cult the most obvious in our society, and we could name a few, but the one we'll mention is this. God loves everyone. No matter who or what you are, whatever you identify as, come as you are. There is no need to think about repentance and submitting to the supremacy of Scripture. Come as you are and stay as you are. We just need to love people because the gospel is all about loving people. Now, there are a number of elements within those statements that are true and that are right and that are godly. God does love people. Scripture even says that God is love. However, responding to Jesus and following him does and should involve repentance. And if you aren't doing that, you aren't following the Jesus of Scripture. God loves you as you are, but he loves us so much to not leave us as we are because he knows what's best for us and we frankly don't. Five minutes watching the news will show you that. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says that God disciplines those he loves to bring out the life he created us for and to keep us from danger and falling away. He disciplines those he loves. Transformative change through God is loving. God does love, yes, absolutely, but to follow him, truly we are to hold fast to how God has revealed himself through Scripture. I've dropped this one because that one's a bit heavy. It's also my first Bible that I was ever given. There is a rejection of what God has ordained as right and wrong living, of what is good and what is evil, what is humanity's benefit and growth as opposed to its destruction and defeat, if there is a blindness to what Scripture and therefore God clearly defines as sin and a refusal to call out sin, and if there is a rejection of all ways by which God has revealed he should be understood and approached, a desire to blur and muddy the lines that are scripturally clear, 
then you and I need to stop and we need to check again who we're standing with. Because it might just be that you're standing with Satan and you're not standing with God. Standing with your idea of God that you like, that is easy and that is comfortable and that is non-offending, and not standing with our true creator God revealed through his holy word. Teaching that is false and contrary to that of Scripture is creeping more and more and more in our churches. There are key passages that I just felt I had compelled to read, really, because we, we need to get this. Passages that Paul wrote to Timothy in the New Testament, which warn us what it will be like. And note these passages, right? This is what it will be like in the church. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. This is the church. This isn't the world, this is the church. 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Holy Spirit tells us in plain words that in the last days some people will turn away from the faith. They will listen to what is said about spirits and follow the teaching of demons. Those who teach this tell it as the truth when they know it is a lie. They do it so much that their own hearts no longer say it's wrong. This is the church. 2 Timothy 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. This is the church. These people aren't in the world. These are people that we call brothers and sisters. Which is why we as the church today need to be on God. Do not think that this cannot happen to us. If we aren't striving to cling to Scripture with all our might, and if we aren't praying for our leaders, that they be people who do not waver from the supremacy of Scripture, then we are vulnerable. And Satan would love nothing more to take hold of individuals or congregations and lead them astray into false teaching and false gospel. People I know personally that I never thought would abandon scriptural principles and speak that which is false are nowhere now. Sparring stuff I never thought they would. And they reveal themselves in some way to be false, which breaks my heart. But it is the case. We need to be on guard. Satan will come and he will try and lead us away from biblical truth. Be ready, church. Cling to Scripture. Treasure it. Feed on it. Don't depart from it. This was meant to be a side point. But if you don't take anything away from this morning, take that. Cling to Scripture with all your might. This group... They've come in opposition to Moses and Aaron. After Moses has prayed, he responds. How many of us, when a problem arises, 
a person or a group brings difficulty and strife and all you want to do is hit back and shout back and lash out and defend ourselves, how many of us could say that our first response is to get on our knees and ask for God's help and strength and wisdom through prayer? For how many of us would this be our first response? In any difficulty, small or big, would prayer be our first response? Yesterday, Emily and I moved into a house, which is why I probably look so tired. And um, Emily had beautifully organized um, the boxes and the bags. And she had this whole system of a notepad with all the numbers equating to which room and, uh, and all of that. It was brilliant. Problem is, we lost the notebook. Irony, and try and be so organized. And, uh, and after a few minutes, I have to pray. Prayed, two minutes later, found it in a bag. It's a small thing, the nothing thing, really. Can I tell you God's interested in the nothing things? He really is. You say for a relationship with God, he's interested in the nothing things as well as the big things. How often is our first response in everything to give thanks to him or to ask for his help? Moses says to the group that they're going to perform a priestly duty, which is what they were asking for, this rebellious group, and that they would present incense before God and they would see uh, whose incest, incense the Lord accepts. And Moses goes further because he goes into the depths of the motives of, the, of this group and he identifies that they ultimately just wanted more influence and responsibility. They were not content with the role that they'd been given. Korah was a Levite. We already had great roles and responsibilities. They were separate to the priests, but nevertheless a key role given to them by God. And they were in charge of the tabernacle and transporting the tabernacle and, and the assembly and the deconstruction of it and but Moses identifies in verse 10, which is up on the screen there, they wanted the privileges of the priesthood as well. They were discontented with the role in the community that they were a part of. They desired more than what God had given them to do. And so after issuing this challenge of presenting incense before the Lord, Moses then turns to Dathan and Abiram, who have their own separate issues with Moses, which is also on the screen. And Moses summons them to speak with him about their grievances, but they refuse to come. Simply attacking Moses, they accuse him of removing them from the blissful land of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, they call it in verse 13. You've taken us out of a land flowing with milk and honey and cucumbers into wilderness to die. People have short memories. Accuse Moses of controlling and bullying and hurting them. And they, they point the finger at Moses and they attack his character. And they say he's broken his promises by not leading them into the land, even though it was the people's fault that they're not in there. So this rebellious group, they gather before God's presence at the tent of meeting. And the Lord tells Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from the whole nation so that he could judge them. But Moses and Aaron fall before God and pray that only the rebel group be punished. And so God instructs the people to move away from Korah, Dathan, and Abraham and all of their supporters. And then to affirm Moses' leadership. And then it was God who selected him for the task of leading the people. This group that sought to assume the privileges of the priesthood, who were not content 
with what God had said was right, who thought they knew better, ignored God's ordained way of doing things, they were judged swiftly and they were miraculously, the earth swallowed them up and fire consumed those holding the censers, which was burning the incense. And then in verse 35 to 40, as a reminder to the people of the rebellion that specifically the only priests could offer incense and the sacrifices, these, uh, these censers that were being held now by corpses were collected up and overlaid onto the altar as a sign to the people that they would remember this rebellion. And every time they entered the tabernacle courtyard, they would remember what happens when you rebel against God. Now, you might have thought this was enough for the people to just step back humbly and acknowledge that the God who has saved them and blessed them is awesome and that they would repent and obey and not say anything. Stop doing stuff. No, no. The next day, the next day, the people grumble against Moses and Aaron declaring that they killed the rebels. You've killed the Lord's people. People are crazy, right? Deluded is what I wrote down in my notes. Utterly missing the point that the rebels were killed out of divine judgment. And so God's presence comes down again. Moses and Aaron approach God, and God once again says, Moses, step away from the people so I can put an end to them. And once again, astonishingly, Moses and Aaron interceded for the people once again, falling down before the Lord. And as God's righteous and good wrath and judgment comes upon the people in the form of a plague, Aaron performs his priestly role given to him by God by burning incense and coal from the altar, and he atones for the people. He covers over their sins is what atonement means. And this act confirms the importance of the role of the priesthood and was a reminder to the whole nation of the importance of their function and that they were, only, they were the only ones to perform the duties of the priesthood. And, and Aaron, as it says, beautifully stood between the living and the dead as a mediator, atoning for the people by means of intercession. Where do these events leave us this morning, 21st century Christians in the northeast of England? I've pulled out three questions for us to reflect on as we look into our own lives and as we start drawing to a close. Because if I stood here and explained what all of this was and then just sat down without practically applying it, what, what would that mean? The first question I have is this. Are we committed to God's word and God's ways? Now, on the face of it, a lot of us might go, well, yeah, of course, we're here. I'm a Christian. God's word, tick. God's ways, tick. No problem. Next question. But there's a lot within that. Committed to God's words and committed to God's ways. This includes stepping out in faith when we don't understand the full picture. Or when we don't know how people will react. It means trusting God no matter the circumstances. It means submitting to our governing authorities, providing that they're not calling on us to compromise the gospel and biblical truth. It means submitting to God's created order of the world and the ways he's established it to be. It means respecting, the, um, it means respecting your boss and working diligently at work. It means paying taxes and not swindling others. It means being content in all circumstances and letting go of the things you want, trusting that God has given you all you need. It means to leave a gossiping crowd when the chat begins. It means affirming, praying for, and loving our church leaders. 
It means commitment to holiness in our lives and a rooting out of sinful behavior and character traits. How committed are we now? This rebellious group, they'd shown by their actions that they were not content to submit to God or His ways, and they were unwilling to follow the principles and the regulations set out by God regarding the function of the community. The structure that God had put in place with Moses and the priesthood was overtly opposed by this group, and God had to deal with them. Now, we may not be, may be overtly challenging God or leading rebellion against the church, but does our attitude... And our speech and our actions and our thoughts convey that we do oppose God and we oppose what he's seeking to do in your life and in the life of our church community. Are you in some way in your own life stopping God from doing what he wants to do in you and opposing him? The verse or the phrase we'd often use is quenching, quenching the spirit not listening to what God the Spirit is seeking to do and to say and do through you? Are we subtly rebelling against what God has established with our attitude? Do we sometimes think that we know better than God or the leadership that he's put in place? Do we always wish that things were done my way and that I was in charge? Are we committed to God and his word? Are we committed to feeding on it as often as we can and saturating ourselves in it when the world is increasingly moving away from its principles? Is the scripture our anchor in this stormy world? Are we committed to God's holiness, which is a theme that runs right through our passage today? Are we committed to growing in and pursuing holiness? Are the words that I speak holy? Are the thoughts that I think Holy are the places I go, holy. The things I do, holy are the ways I think about people in the church, holy is the way I treat my partner, holy. My children, my parents is the way I speak to that particularly difficult person, holy. Are we so disciplined with sin that as soon as we recognize something sinful in our lives, we're serious about it and we take strong measures to keep ourselves from falling into temptation? What areas of my life do I need to shine a light on and say, God, please help me with this? I stumble here a lot. Please help me by the power of your spirit. Please bring people in my life that can keep me accountable, keep me from falling, people I can trust that I will not judge me but seek to assist me in beating this sinful habit or this tendency in my life. What areas of my life do I need to shine a light on? Second question. Am I content with where God has placed me? This group were not willing to just serve where they'd been placed and submit to the leadership God himself had appointed. They were given a role and responsibilities to perform, but that wasn't enough for them. And this is a challenge for us in our, in our workplaces as well as in our church. Am I content with God's plan for me? Or how God has wired and gifted me? Am I content in my life right now? Particularly those of you who are waiting for good things, a job or a relationship or... Are you in this moment just content, content with where Jesus has you? And if you aren't, what is stopping you from being content? Ask for God's help and strength to reposition your focus on Jesus because at the end of the day, at the end of this life, it's Jesus who you'll have. And all that matters is what we do with and for him. 
At the end of the day, at the end of this life, it's Jesus who you'll have. All that matters is what we do with and for him. None of the other garbage that often fills our lives, as Paul puts it. In fact, it's stronger than garbage. It's Jesus. If we have Jesus, then he is the one who ultimately satisfies. I'm not saying, in a sense, it's not good to ask for more, to go for promotions, or to ask God for specific gifts, or whatever it is. But it's a good question to ask. Am I content with where God has placed and positioned me? Am I willing to just simply pluck on serving faithfully where he has you? Quite often, if we aren't content, we grow impatient and we get frustrated and our priorities become askew and we end up going after things, whether it's good or bad, and we push for them, we push for them, and sometimes God even gives them to us to show us that it doesn't work. You weren't patient. You were stubborn. I know best. I see the end from the beginning. God always, always, always knows best. What are the things you're pushing for, the things you have, and you're holding on to because you think that through it you will have a happy or a good life? But in so doing, your faith becomes stunted and you take your eyes off the Creator and you fix your eyes on creation. Enjoying the temporary made things of this world rather than the eternal, all-loving maker of all things. And then finally, are you compassionate towards those in the world and those who are our brothers and sisters in the church. By compassion here, I mean a desire to show kindness and care and a willingness to help others. Moses and Aaron, twice in our passage, they intercede for the people. They fall face down and they intercede in prayer of love for the people. Despite the people's stubbornness and their lack of faith and their rejection of God, these leaders still loved them and they prayed for them. Would you describe yourself as a praying person? And if you wouldn't, ask yourself why and how you could change that. You know, we've talked a little bit about leaders this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And then that, it's not going to be up on the screen, I've only got it in my notes here. But that verse there, It says, they watch over your souls. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over your souls. It's not a verse that's often read. But the church leaders of this church watch over our souls. And then the verse goes on. It says, do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Are we praying for our leaders? Do we ask God for the help and the strength that they need? And have you told them that you appreciate them? The time and the energy and the thought they put in to every matter of church life. Do you love them? And do you appreciate them? And do you lift them before God in prayer? And then finally, would you describe yourself as someone who is merciful? Because that's ultimately what Moses and Aaron were doing, pleading for God's mercy. And our chief example of this, of course, is the Lord Jesus, who even as he was being beaten and flogged on his way to the cross, did not utter a word of response. Don't forget how much these people had treated Moses and Aaron so poorly, and yet still they cried out to God and said, Mercy. 
how much mercy are we showing those around us? Jesus could even say on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mercy. Jesus took it all and trusting that he was completing the Father's will, he took it all. And it's right that really we end by focusing on Jesus because he answered all of these three questions up on the screen. All of these three questions, he answered them completely and perfectly. Am I committed to God's word and God's ways? Am I content with a God that's placed and positioned me? Am I compassionate to those in the world, those who are my brothers and sisters in the church? I'm going to invite the band up as we sing. But as they're coming up, Let's just reflect on what God said to us this morning. Can we just bow our heads, maybe close our eyes? What's God saying to you this morning? What attitudes is he putting his finger on or what things are in your life that you know are above God and they need to be put down? Are you content with where God has placed you? And if you're not, what is stopping that contentment? Are you committed to his word and his ways? Is God calling you into something? And you should be trying to put it off. Maybe it's a conversation with someone or starting something new. Are you committed to God and, and his word and his ways and trusting that he is above all things, and he wants the best for you. Let's worship.